Brandon Marshall. No, I'm Senator Guy. I'm Adam Blanquist. I'm Jamal Adam. World Series champion, Tino Martinez. Two-time Olympic gold medalist and World Cup champion, Tobin Heath. On 60-minute overtime. On WRPR. www.prosportsrundown.com. At Coach McCartan. Facebook.com. Slash Coach McCartan. Oh, and we're back on 60-minute overtime. It is December 16, 2018. Today we have some uh, very stocked show, so we're going to get right down to it. Today we have a live call in from uh, Chris Sheeran, who is the studio host and field reporter for the Yes Network and host of the And We're Off podcast. That's at 10.15, about 11 minutes from now. 10.40 a.m., Ed Graney, sports columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and host of the brand-new press box weekday morning show on ESPN Las Vegas and a pre-recorded interview those are live pre-recorded we're going to have Brandon Nimmo Mets outfielder from the IABF Italian American Baseball Foundation annual dinner um I've got five questions I'd ask Manny Machado if I were Brian Cashman I've got in-depth Yankees offseason moves so far with Chris the dinner recap Jets Texans review and Giants Titans preview and maybe possibly you today I'm on streaming Periscope right now live, Facebook live right now, and on YouTube, that is also live. Video. Video streams on all three of them. So, Yankees and Mets, off-season moves. Well, um, you know, I talked a lot about that on WFAN when I was there. Um, the Yankees and Mets, Mets have been more active than the Yankees. And, by the way, in case you didn't hear me out from that WFAN show on Thanksgiving, if you go to my website, prosportsrundown.com, you'll have the uh, the live stream, not the live stream, the, uh, what's it called? The, the podcast version of it I put up on my site there. Uh, but, you know, Las Vegas just hosted the 2018 MLB Winter Meetings, where the player wheeling and dealing gets done. And let's just take a look back at what has happened at these Winter Meetings. These are usually the big events of the MLB offseason, because in, let's just say, 1998, Kevin Brown signed a seven-year, $105 million deal with the L.A. Dodgers. That was the first nine-figure deal in history. Fast forward to 2000. This was the big one. This is what a lot of people are comparing this to uh, this year, too, because you have two major free agents in Manny Ramirez. He agreed to an eight-year, $160 million deal with the Red Sox. And, of course, Alex Rodriguez set a record for 10 years, $252 $252 million. 2010, it's not just uh, the big-name teams here. 2010, Jason Wirth signed with the Nationals for seven years, $126 million. 2011, had Albert Polo signing on the dotted line for 10 years, $240 million with the LA Angels. And this year, were there any major things that came out of this year? Not really. Probably the biggest thing coming out of the winter meetings from Mandalay Bay was that Yuris Familia has returned to the New York Mets. Mets Twitter, somewhat lukewarm on this. Because he's 29 years old. His contract was three years, $30 million. That includes a $2 million signing bonus. Imagine, you just sign your name on the line and get $2 million. I wish. But those are payable in installments on equal installments. So he'll probably get a million dollars 
on July 1st and a million dollars on December 10th of next year. He's got salaries of uh, $6 million in 2019 and $11 million in each of the final two seasons. And a bonus. This, this made me laugh. He gets a million dollar bonus if he's traded. <laughs> he gets a $500,000 performance bonus in any season he has finished 50 games. That's kind of a lot of money, I think, in a market where it's kind of like a, a buyer's market for relief pitchers. I'm not sure why they went out and got Familia so aggressively and paid him so much. I mean, he did have 123 saves in seven years for the New York Mets. Uh, but, you know, the setup role for... He, he's, he's not going to be a closer anymore. He's going to be more of a setup role for Edwin Diaz, who the Mets also had acquired. Um, he's no longer that closer. But, you know, it's good to have that flexibility just in case. I think Brody Van Wagenen made a good move in getting a guy that can close if need be. I'm not sure that the 30, three years, $30 million was kind of worth it for a relief pitcher. Like I said, the, the, the market is kind of stocked with relief pitching. And you could see that in, like... Guys like David Robertson or um, Jack Britton is out there. But if you think about it, like it's good to have that flexibility in a way because like the Yankees did last year, they had, like I just said, the Yankees had Zach Britton, Dylan Batantis, and David Robertson, and they all had closing experience. So if one went down, another one stepped up. If you needed more of, a, of an outing from one of them, it all worked out, you know? So... Okay, Familia's an okay signing. I just wish that... I mean, he's he's a good player. I just wish that they got him for a better deal because I don't really like the $30 million for him. Then the rumor mill also for the Mets is that they are looking at trying to work out a deal with the Tigers for... This is, this is like new news here. Third baseman outfielder Nick Castellanos. This is going to have to be by way of trade because he is under contract with the Tigers. Uh, he plays third base in the outfield, like I said. So I kind of like that because there's a need for a third baseman on the New York Mets roster. Um, there is not a need for an outfielder on the New York Mets roster. What has current New York Mets third baseman Todd Frazier done this past season, production-wise? Okay, he's a great clubhouse guy. We know that. Did you hear that he played baseball for Tom's River in the, World, <laughs> in the League World Series? Did you hear that about Todd Frazier? Well, he did. I'll tell you, he did. And what has he done, though, for production-wise for the Mets? Well, not that much. Batting average, 213. On-base percentage, 303, which both of them are below his career average. Castellanos, though, 298 batting average. On-base percentage was 354, which was both above his career average. And an immediate upgrade, if we're looking at Frazier... Uh, versus Castellanos. Uh, obviously, you're picking Frazier based on the numbers. And those are just old-school stats. I think on-base percentages for a hitter, probably one of the better statistics you can use. And um, I think that Castellanos would be an immediate upgrade. And I think I looked at his contract. It's like $6 million. I think the Mets can afford that, like $6 million. I don't think that's a big problem. And he also hits for a little bit of power. 23 home runs, 89 RBIs. This is Castellanos. And what's the most impressive of him, and we talk uh, in the Yankees realm here of feaster famine hitting, and the Yankees seem to hit home runs or strike out. And that's kind of the narrative with the Yankees. And I've been saying that the Yankees should be looking for a guy that can 
I don't know, put the ball in play and move some runners around. Nick Castellanos is that guy, and he could be that guy for the Mets. He finished third in the AL in hits last year, 185. Fourth in the AL in doubles. Yeah, that was 46 doubles. And third in the AL in multi-hit games, 56. So I think if you're in the Mets, I think you, you pull the trigger and you do it. And the Yankees really haven't done much. Nothing too, too, too newsworthy. But maybe this could be the quiet before the storm for the Yankees, maybe. I'm going to be talking to Chris Sheeran momentarily based on um, some Yankees moves. And uh, I'm going to have him grade the, the moves that they've currently made. And I also would like to ask him about Manny Machado, obviously. So Brian Cashman, who everybody knows is the Yankees GM, he's uh, going to be looking to meet with Manny Machado this week. And Manny Machado, as you know, is one of the, is the, one of the two premier free agents in this offseason. And here are the top five questions that I would ask Manny Machado if I were Brandon, Brian, <laughs> Brian Cashman. First, obviously, I would ask him to explain his Johnny Hustle comments. You've, you've heard me play them before on this show. He's not Johnny Hustle, apparently, and I would like to get to the bottom of that. Also, number two, kind of facetiously, I would ask Manny Machado if he could pitch. Because you know why? Yankees don't need another infielder. That's why. They need starting pitching. So that's what I would ask Manny Machado. Then I would ask him... To explain this, there was a situation in which he stepped on um, the first baseman for the Brewers, Steve Pierce's foot, and the foot was on the bag, and he, and he stepped right on it, and, and he set off a bench-clearing brawl. And the follow-up question to that is going to be, are you a dirty player? Because that is a dirty play, let's be honest. What can you add to this clubhouse is the next question I'm going to ask because the Yankees have a positive environment in their clubhouse. They've got guys like Aaron Judge, all, all the young guys, Glaber Torres, um, you know, the baby bombers. And it's a pretty good clubhouse, in my opinion. And, of course, they cleared the way of, of Joe Girardi for Aaron Boone because Joe Girardi had too stiff of a clubhouse, they said. Okay. All right, fine. So now you have Aaron Judge in there and a good clubhouse. Fine. My fifth and final question, if I were Brian Cashman, that I would ask to Manny Machado is, would you be okay with being traded at the trade deadline? Because the only way I see the Yankees taking Manny Machado, the only uh, logical way I see the Yankees taking Manny Machado, is if, in fact, they use him at the trade deadline as trade bait. Because the reason why you need him, the maybe reason why you need him right now, is because D.D. Gregorius is out with uh, Tommy John surgery. He'll be out till, let's just say, the All-Star break, around there, July. So, of course, you would think you would need an infielder type, a third baseman, shortstop type, and Manny Machado. Well, everybody seems to forget that Glaber Torres' natural position is shortstop. So, why are we rushing to, to move everybody around if, in fact, shortstop, is his natural position. I'm not sure why we would need on the Yankees roster a guy that doesn't really fill a hole. In my solution, if you listen on WFAN, my solution was for the Yankees to get a guy like Daniel Murphy at second base. Because if you have a second baseman, if you move Glaber Torres over to shortstop where he plays, then all you need is a 
second baseman. And that second baseman would be Daniel Murphy. And Mets fans know that Daniel Murphy is, uh, let's just say, clutch. Because he went to the Nationals and actually tore up the MLB. That's the move I would make. I would leave Manny Machado alone. If I'm picking between the two of them, I would pick uh, Bryce Harper for the Yankees. And I would pick Manny Machado for the Mets. Manny Machado would be a great man because he's just that kind of a player that would fit right in with the Mets. And I talked about this on WFAN. I mean, it, putting him in the roster of the Mets, he would, I think, uh, have led them in like three out of the four main uh, main categories. But I don't think the answer for the Mets is to be, to be trading Brandon Nimmo. Nemo, as they say in Italian. Because the Mets have been, they have a core. They're keeping their pitching staff intact. Fine. Then they've got Conforto and Nimmo in the outfield. And those two guys led pretty much all of the Mets' main hitting categories and main offensive categories of this season. So why would you trade one of your most productive players? Now, I don't think at this point the Mets are going to be moving Noah Syndergaard, although that was a real possibility uh, earlier in the season because I don't think it's going to happen now because they've added, the Mets have added, they've added a bullpen. Like, the Mets had a couple of needs going into this offseason. One of them was shore up the bullpen. Second one was to get a catcher, which they're still waiting on, keep their pitching staff in, in, intact, let me go out there and get one more big bat. And the Mets, slowly but surely, have sort of kind of been doing that. So I think that Noah Syndergaard at this point will be a Met. We're joined by Chris Sheeran, the studio host and field reporter for the Yes Network. So Chris, I wanted to ask you about a, a couple things, and I wanted you first to grade the off-season moves that um, that the Yankees have made. So, you know, I'm a teacher by day. Could you assign a letter grade for these three? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I think the trade for Paxton, uh, which I think Brian Cashman saw the free agent market for Patrick Corbin being a little bit out of whack. So I think that trade for Paxton is an A. I won't go A+. plus. I want to see how Paxton pitches in New York. So that's the only reason I'm giving the plus. Uh, I'm taking the plus away from the A there. Um, <laughs> but I think that was a huge pickup for them. Lefty pitcher, uh, he's 29, 30 years old. Uh, he slides right in there with uh, Luis Severino and Masahiro Tanaka. And you hope that Severino builds up his arm strength and he's better. We know what Tanaka has given you time and time again, not only in the regular season we know he has his ups and downs but in the postseason he is locked down and he is ready to go so as far as the uh Paxton deal goes that's an A but you know concerning a lot of Yankees fans was included in that deal the Justice Sheffield move a lot of people had Justice Sheffield project pinned to be a starter for the Yankees what kind of ultimately made him a trade piece in your opinion I think what ultimately made him a trade piece is that the fact that he is projected as a starter. That's how these things work. And Brian Cashman saw an opportunity with the Mariners trying to unload players and payroll to start over again and saying, okay, well, I could 
roll the dice on a guy like Justice Sheffield and see if he pans out as a major league starter, or I could trade him as a piece and I could bring in a guy that is an established starter and has proven that he can pitch in this league. So I think when it when it comes to this, Casey Stern, uh, my buddy, uh, who I've never actually met face to face, but <laughs> we're very simpatico uh, in our in our ways of thinking and uh, in our sense of humor. Uh, he always says, "Prospects are nice, parades are better." Mm. So I, I tend I tend to agree with him when he says that. He actually has shirts made up that say that, <laughs> so it's actually kind of funny. Uh, but I, yeah, I just think you have to roll and, and listen, Paxton is a roll of the dice too. Now, you know, he could pitch in the league, but he has had some injury issues. So either way you, you, you look at this, uh, it's, it's a gamble, but this is the way you have to roll Danielle and the Yankees need help in their starting rotation and him and the addition of half. Now, listen, I've said this on my podcast. I've said this. To anybody at the Yes Cubicles, I've sent this. I, I've said this to Yankee fans at the gym. Going in, if they don't make any other moves for their rotation this year, this rotation as it stands right now, with the addition of Maple and Hap, with the Yankees going into this season, the rotation is better. Not just better; it's exponentially better. Now, do they have that lockdown? ace that you could put in a game one and a game five and a game one and a game four and a game seven? Probably not. I mean, Severino hasn't shown us that. He pitched in a wild card game, but he only threw four innings. So, you know, would a guy like Kluber have been nice? Yes. What What team doesn't want an ace? This is the, this, this is the idiotic stuff that you get on Twitter all the time, and I'm <laughs> sure you know all about this. Yeah. But it's like... Well, yeah, but we needed a lockdown ace. We, we should have traded for Yeah, but you don't know what the Indians were asking for, A. And, yes, of course, any team would want a lockdown ace. I mean, who wouldn't? What team would want that guy? <laughs> it's just Brian Cashman is trying to do – he's trying to do the best thing he can for this team to move forward. And I think the Yankees are still trying to stay under that luxury tax or at least close to it. And I don't think they're going to be, you know, everybody expected them to spend all this money and just expend the farm system. They just rebuilt it. It's still one of the best in the game, uh, despite what, you know, the, the publications, Baseball America or MLB.com says. It's still one of the best in the games. If you saw our Yankees Hot Stove show, Damon Oppenheimer was on. Uh, he, he told you all about it. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, go on YesNetwork.com and you could, you could rewatch everything. But I don't... See, this, you're talking to a Yankee fan from the 80s here, okay? Mm. I, I've been with this team through thick and thin. I've been with this team through Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, taking out his bazooka to kill an ant with guys in the lineup, like guys like Danny Tartable. Uh, he brought Dave Winfield in. And I'm not saying that these guys weren't tremendous baseball players. They didn't win any championships. Don Mattingly went from 82 to 95 and made the playoffs once, and I was right there with them, right there with them, struggling with every losing season, or every every season that they didn't make the playoffs. Now, in, in, in the decade of the 80s, the Yankees had the best record in baseball. I think they just never won anything. Mm. But that's not the way you win championships. Look at, Danielle, look at the way 
the San Francisco Giants won their titles recently. Can you name a big-time star besides Buster Posey and Matt and Madison Bumgarner? No. They were guys who knew their role. They, they were guys who knew their role, went out and did their job. They moved runners. They sacrificed. They got runs in. And when you have a guy like Mad Bum who goes out there on a day's rest <laughs> and, and completes a game, you know, game seven, for crying out loud, when you have a guy like that, it's kind of impossible to lose the series. But you start with pitching, and then everything falls from that. Everybody thinks they need Manny Machado. Let's go back to the grading then. So the starting pitching, the re-sign of CC Sabathia, J-Hap. Give me a grade for that. Um, all right. Well, before I give you the grade <laughs> on CC, let me uh, put this qualifier on it. I think CC Sabathia has been, um, and this is this is not going out on a limb either. I think he's been one of the best Yankees I've ever seen in my lifetime. I do. Uh, for what he does, the competitor that he is, uh, how he just takes the ball and he will give you everything he has. Uh, having said that, the fact that I heard from different people that he was the reason Miguel Andujar didn't get into game four against the Red Sox, a game that they had to win to move on and your best hitter was on the bench because CeCe's knee was suspect and he couldn't field his position and they needed someone like Neil Walker at third base just in case the Red Sox, you know, tried to play a little dirty ball and started bunting every five seconds. <laughs> that bothers me. Yeah. So if, if CC couldn't field his position, then now look, if you're bringing him in to be, you know, to be that guy who starts to give another, to give the rotation like an extra day, like if you're going to bring in another starter yet and his role is still yet undefined, I give that deal a B. I do. Because you know what you're going to get with CC. He's not the CC of 2009. He's not the CC of 2001. But he is still a viable pitcher. And, and the reason I give it a, a B, a strong B, and it's not any lower than that, and your listeners might disagree with this, but the fact that this guy, and this goes into the lore and into that why I think he is a all-time Yankee during my lifetime, or maybe even an all-time Yankee overall. And I don't think that's going on on a limb. That game against the Tampa Bay Rays, when he had a 500K bonus on the line, but instead stuck up, stuck up for his player and play a little beanball because Austin Romine got beaned and he got tossed before he could get that performance bonus. That's a guy that you want in the clubhouse. That's a guy that you want on your side in a fight. So that's why I give it a B. I wasn't thrilled with it at the time, but his role, I, I believe, Danielle, still isn't defined. Now, what was the other one you wanted me to do, Gardner? Uh, yeah, we'll get yeah Gardner. Give give a grade for the re-signing of Brett Gardner. I didn't like it. Well, here's another thing. If any people, yes, uh, they know this. My close friends know this. I've been a fan of this guy since 2005 when I saw him in Staten Island. Um, but we all saw what was happening with him in the second half of the season. Even myself, I, I was sitting there looking at him, going, "What what, what is wrong with 
Lombardi right now. I don't know what is going on. We've seen second halves of his where he falls off. But last year was just, he looked lost. He absolutely looked lost at the plate. He could still field, and I think that's why Brian Cashman thought he should bring him back. And we all saw what happened when Aaron Judge went down last year and Shane Robinson was playing right field. Mm. Brett Gardner's your fourth outfielder, maybe your fifth outfielder. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We're, we're still not done with the offseason yet. But as an insurance piece, as – see, I was in your boat at the beginning. When they brought these guys back, I was like, okay, they must have a plan because I don't understand this at all. I thought they wanted to get younger. I thought they wanted to try to match the Red Sox at certain positions. But it looks like, you know, it's, it's what Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, says, you know, scholarships. And, and, and Gettleman's not given scholarships anymore. So I, I just sat back and I was like, okay, there has to be a bigger plan to this. There has to be a bigger idea in the Yankees uh, system. They, 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 they have to, Brian Cashman's world, he has to know what he's doing. So as time went on and as people browbeated me at yes, um, <laughs> because I was not a fan of either deal at first, yeah. I have kind of uh, stomped on a dime and, and did a 180. Uh, because I, I kind of see it now. You know, Brett Gardner's a great insurance policy. If he's not playing every day and you keep him fresh, he's still a plus defender. He is. And C.C. Sabathia, if he's not going every fifth day and he's like a stopgap guy, maybe I know the Yankees aren't going to go to a six-man rotation, but if he can give you that insurance, if you have a guy like a seasoned veteran like C.C. Sabathia on your, on your uh, roster, there's just certain things he brings to it, Danielle, and I see it now. Okay, now the Yankees, I mean, I think Yankees fans are kind of clamoring for more. Like, what's the next move they're going to make? And Brian Cashman. Of course they are. Yeah, of course. But Brian Cashman is apparently, he's set to meet with Manny Machado this week, and we have about three or so minutes left in the segment. One, is it just due diligence, or is there really intent? And two, how is that conversation going to go? I, I, I don't think it's just diligence. I think the Yankees are, are, are in on Manny Machado. I just think it's uh, it, it's a question of how the deal is structured. And I think, well, here's a th- another thing you have to look at, too. And I'll give Evan Roberts credit. You know, He, he said this on his show uh, yesterday morning. Didi Gregorius is a free agent in 2020, uh, and he's 30. Manny Machado's 26. Uh, this is what you have to look at. Do you, is Didi in your future plans? Is Didi your guy? Now, I, I don't want to give up on Didi Gregorius, but how much money is Didi going to be looking for? And it's going to be based on what Machado gets. And you have to look at that. So if you bring in a guy like Machado, you could be bringing in your shortstop third baseman now because when Didi comes back, obviously he's going to be your shortstop, but you have to see how he recovers from his Tommy John surgery. Mm. So I, I truly think that Brian Cashman is locked in, Danielle. I, I, and I think they have to look at it the way Jeff Passan looked at it. If they could do like an eight-year deal but front-load it for the first four years and get pretty much the best four years you're going to get out of Manny Machado before he hits 30 and maybe starts to go down the other way, front-load it. Front-load the hell out of it. Give him all his, most of his money in the first four years. Give him, give him an opt-out, and then you could – maybe get something done. I just don't think, based on Alex Rodriguez's deal, based on Robinson Cano's deal, based on the way Giancarlo Stanton's deal was put out there, 
I don't think anybody's going to be comfortable giving any of these guys 10-year deals anymore. Do right. you? No, I, I agree. And you know what? It was funny because I was listening to the same uh, same portion of the Evan Roberts show, actually. And, you know, I had a solution to this. And I, and, and, you know, I figured you were. Yeah, I was. I was. And I had a solution because, you know, if, if Didi is not in your plans, okay, then you let him walk. And my solution was just to slide Glaber Torres over to his shortstop, his natural position, and then you go out and get a second baseman. See, I don't know if the, the like this monster ten-year no, deal. Do that too. Yeah, Danielle, you're 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 you have your head on straight. You do. <laughs> there there are options. There are ways to do this, and there's ways you you could do this without, you know, uh, without breaking the bank, without giving a single guy, one single solitary position guy, four hundred million dollars. I just I don't. Maybe it will. The White Sox might, I mean, because they're out there. The Phillies might because they want to spend all this money. But I just don't think you're going to get a guy like Brian Cashman to, to bite on that hook anymore. Yeah. I just don't think you are. I think I think he's he's seen the forest through the trees. He knows that that's not the way you win. And I know the Yankees haven't won since 2009. I get it. But I think their, their vision is different than taking out that bazooka again trying to kill an ant. Yeah, I agree. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shapes up. This week's, I think, I have a feeling this is going to be a very big week for the Yankees in their uh, in their their quest for, what is it, number 28 still we're looking for? Come on, man. Yeah, 28, 28. All right, Chris, so thank you. You're going to see Chris uh, this time of the season on Brooklyn Nets broadcasts. And uh, also, he's the host of the And We're Off podcast. That's on Apple Podcasts. So, Chris, thanks for dealing with the technical issues, and uh, and thanks for coming on today. Danielle, for you, anything and any time. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. Let's go to a commercial break here real quick, and then we're going to get uh, Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and ESPN Radio in Las Vegas on in a second. Hey, Brad, you're working on a song about planning for retirement, right? Yeah. I wrote you some lyrics. You're writing now? Mm-hmm. Here's a man like you and me Retired after 18 years at QB. Kind of seems like it might be about you. <laughs> Which part? All of it. It's about retirement planning. I won't see it, bro. Today's 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense is brought to you by the Italian-American Baseball Foundation, cultivating the game of baseball in Italy. Visit iabf.foundation to get involved. In NHL news, the New Jersey Devils defeated the Vegas Golden Knights 5-4 in overtime stunner at the Rock Friday night, a loss of which Golden Knights goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury called embarrassing. Last night, the Devils lost in an overtime shootout to the Western Conference Central Division Nashville Predators 2-1. The New York Rangers lost a heartbreaker to the Minnesota Coyotes at the Garden Friday night 4-3. They welcomed the Vegas Golden Knights for a Sunday matinee this afternoon at 12-30. In NBA news, the New York Knicks topped the Charlotte Hornets 126-124 in overtime to owner Michael Jordan's surprise. Emmanuel Moutier led all scorers with 34 points. The Knicks continue their road trip to Indiana, where they'll take on the Pacers at 5 p.m. televised on the MSG Network. 
Brooklyn Nets are experiencing an uptick and have defeated the Washington Wizards at the Barclays Center 125 to 120 or 118. They're looking to string their fifth consecutive win in Brooklyn today at 3 p.m. where they host the Atlanta Hawks. That game is on the Yes Network. In NFL news, the New York Jets entered Sunday's game, Saturday's game, with the Texans as an underdog. The Jets dropped to 4 and 10, while the Texans improved to 10 and 4. As it stands, if the season ended this morning, the Jets would have the fourth pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. The New York Giants welcome the Tennessee Titans to MetLife Stadium at 1 o'clock in 1 o'clock action today. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that was your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. Anybody has ever been to Las Vegas and seen the Golden Knights play, you will know that that is the, goal, the song by Panic at the Disco called Vegas Lights that they play every time there's a goal. And in recent memory and in recent history, there's been a lot of goals scored for the Golden Knights. And Alex Tuck, I think, is uh, up there and the, one of the top goal scorers for the Golden Knights. Um, and you have uh, Eric Carlson. Also is a top goal scorer for the for the Vegas Golden Knights. The Devils just dropped them in overtime uh, the other night. And first of all, it was a game in which, and I'm, we'll talk to uh, Ed Graney, the sports columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, in about a minute and a half about this. But, I mean, I had that on, that game. 3 nothing before I can even, I don't know, actually tune in and actually sit and watch the game. And the Devils were down 3 nothing early. And I thought at the end of the first period I had seen people moving towards the exits and moving out of the Prudential Center that night because it was just one of those one of those games. It was you know that they 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 got down early. They're futzing around with picking up a, a goalie. Which goalie's gonna make the save for us today? It basically is what it was. Because they had Schneider in there. He gave up three goals in I don't know, three minutes. <laughs> and then they brought in uh, Kincaid, who did a little bit better, but there were some concerns about Keith Kincaid's um, quad, I think it was, going into the first intermission. So that left everybody wondering, who's going to come out and play goalie for the Devils? And uh, I, it was Kincaid the rest of the way, and, I, I mean, he held the Golden Knights to just one goal uh, because three of them were charged to, to Schneider. And he held them to just one goal the rest of the way. You know, the rest of period one, all of period two, and period three, and in overtime. So, Kincaid, you got a complete game out of Kincaid. I woke up, because I turned it off. I mean, I thought the Devils were going to lose. And anybody that follows any of my work knows that. I do not stay up late and watch these late games. And Vegas, I'm sure it was like, you know, breakfast time for them. Nah, it's lunchtime. But I turned it off. And I woke up the next morning and I saw that they lost five the Golden Knights had lost 5-4 to four in overtime, which is kind of outstanding, really, because after the start, they were they were on pace to win 9 nothing after the first period. And we're joined now by Ed Graney, sports columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and host of the brand new Press Box weekday morning show. The Press Box existed, but in the afternoon. Now it's on the morning, ESPN Radio. So, Ed, thanks for calling in. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you, Tom. So, 
first, I got to ask you, how was the move to the morning show slot for you? That's big news. It's big news, and it's early wake-up calls. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Clay Baker and I are hosting that show from seven to ten a.m. on Monday through Friday here in Vegas, and mm-hmm. uh, it's good. I mean, I think you know, I think with the Raiders coming in twenty twenty, um, there was going to be a morning show, and we kind of wanted to start it out early and get our feet under ourselves before that happened. So it's actually really cool. We, we you know we're enjoying it, and the body clocks have kind of switched over, and. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's fun. We're getting good guests, and uh, I think I think in an NFL city, which I think Vegas kind of considers itself now, was probably important to do. Yeah, and and this is and by the way, if you're ever in Vegas, they're on from is it it's seven to ten in the morning, right? Seven to ten in the morning, uh, Monday through Friday on ESPN. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so I was just kind of previewing for the the listeners the, how the Vegas Vegas Golden Knights they were up three nothing pretty much as soon as <laughs> the game started. They, they were on pace for a nine nothing shutout at the end of the first quarter. And honestly, I went to bed, and then I was just saying, I, I woke up to see that the Golden Knights lost 5-4 in overtime. Well, what the heck happened? They did not handle winning well that night. And actually, they've done a good job of that. Obviously, last year was historic. But, you know, it's like Gallant said, Jared Gallant, the coach, said afterwards, they got up 3-0, and, the, and, you know, according to him, the boys thought it was over. And as bad as New Jersey's been in spots this year, you just can't do it in the NHL. You can't do it in any professional sport. Guys are at that level for a reason. And, you know, they, they the funny thing is, Jersey just kept putting pressure on, um, and they were even putting pressure on down 3-0, so you kind of had a feeling, not that the Golden Knights would lose the game, but they, Jersey would score some goals and make it closer, and then, I think then when it got tied, the Knights kind of stepped back and said, uh-oh, and then Jersey just applied more pressure, and, you know, it's a, it's, they need to learn a lesson, because the Pacific right now, with Calgary and Edmonton, San Jose, and Anaheim all continuing to win, you know, that kind of has to be a wake-up call. I know it's still December and nothing decided in December, but I think it was, we'll see how the, you know, how the Knights play. they got back-to-back now, Rangers today, Columbus tomorrow, good, you know, especially Columbus. They're going to have to play well. So it'll be interesting. Today's really interesting. I'm interested to see how they respond from that because that was not a good, you know, they got a point because it went to overtime, but that was not a good point at all if there's such a thing. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I was going to ask you too, you talked about the pressure. I looked at the, the stats when I woke up. The Devils had, I think it was 42 shots and the Golden Knights had 22. It's almost like double. Where was the Golden Knights' defense? Well, and that's, you know, that's really kind of one of the few times since Nate Schmidt returned from the suspension where defensively they let down in front of Flurry. And that's a whole other issue in terms of how Mark andre uh, how many games he's starting. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen yet if he's going to start again today, but they are not playing their backup Malcolm Subin, or they haven't. And, you know, Flurry's on pace to start more games than anyone who's ever been to a Stanley Cup final. I mean, guys just don't start now 70-plus and, and think they can get to a final. So they, I don't know what's really going on there. No one really does in Vegas in terms of their uh, non-desire to play Subban very much. But uh, we'll see what happens today. And defensively against Jersey, they all just kind of they all let up. And when you let up and the other team's pressuring you in, the, in, in your own offensive zone, you're in trouble. So the good news for them, I think, is they haven't had that. I mean, since Nate Schmidt's been back, they've been really good in front of Flurry, And I think maybe they'll go back, as Flurry said. You know, it's one game. You forget it anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, we'll see We'll see what happens against the Rangers today. If they can't give up 40-something shots on the road, you're going to lose if you give up that many. Yeah, and, and Flurry called the, the loss embarrassing. That's obviously embarrassing. Yeah, an accurate yeah. description there. And let's look at today's Rangers-Golden Knights matchup. And, and, I, and I, just before you called, I was t- talking about the, the, the Devils goal and how they're pretty much not that good, you know. Henrik Lundqvist, I think, is a better goalie than the both of them yeah. combined. So how does the Vegas Golden Knights defense improve upon a performance where they allowed the Devils to shoot 42 times? Uh, for, uh, well, yeah, 42. Yeah, I mean, they, they, 
don't pinch as much and, and try to stay back. And if you get a lead, you know, play just really solid hockey. I mean, uh, they've been able to do that with Schmidt on the ice. He's their best defenseman. Theodore, you know, Shea Theodore's a really good young player, but he'll turn the puck over a lot. He'll pinch a little too much and get beat back door. And, you know, they can't do those kind of things and, and expect to, like, beat Lundqvist on a, on a day like that. So we'll see offensively. Um, uh, David Shane, the Review Journal beat writer, just tweeted that Max Pacioretty was um, – working and preparing his sticks outside the locker rooms, so that's kind of a sign he'll be back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Stastny's back in the lineup. They're trying to get back to what everyone thought they'd be. Eric Howell's going to be out maybe for the whole season. He had knee surgery, so you're not, you know, you can't count on him. Yeah. But with Stastny back now, if they can get Max Pacioretty playing at a consistent level, I think they believe William Carlson's got it going now that they can get back to the offensive team. But, you know, if they're going to get as far as they did last year, and I think that's a huge, huge if. I'm not sure they can do that again. They have to be better defensively in front of Flurry because, again, he's playing at a career high in terms of um, number of games. I don't know when that's going to slow down or stop. So if they have the defensive breakdowns they did the other night against today or certainly tomorrow night in Columbus, you know, it could be a bad trip for them coming home. And we're talking with Ed Greeny, sports columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and ESPN Radio Las Vegas. Now, um, Ed, I wanted to ask you, Mika Zibinijad, for the the um, the Rangers has more points than any Golden Knights player, even after Carlson's two goal performance in New Jersey. What has to be the game plan to contain Zibanejad? You know what they have to treat him as most people now are treating. You know William Carlson, and that's to have just an awareness. It's like you, when you ever play any of these guys, and I guess Connor McDavid's the only guy you can't say because he's just so fast he can make a mistake into a goal just because he's the fastest player in the world. But again, today, you have to be aware, aware and be very tight in your coverage and your zones and your own zone. And that's what William Carlson has found also. You know, when you get scores like that, you, have, you just have to be aware where they are all the time. And you can't, you know, you have to be very tight. You can't be loose in your zones. You can't allow for angles to let him get going and get him in front of the net and crease. So it's very basic, but that's what they have to do. And they have found that this year, you know. Carlson went from nine goals to 40-something last year, and I asked him the other day, I said, when you're a scorer like that, have you seen any difference? And he goes, yeah, he goes, they're tighter, they know where I am more, they respect me more. And I think on the flip side today, the Rangers have to do that. Uh, excuse me, the Knights have to do that. They have to be aware uh, where where he is all the time and just tighten things up. They can't, if they play loose like they did the night, you know, you could get a couple goals and it would not be good for the Golden Knights. So bottom line, who do you think comes away with the victory today? I actually think the Rangers, well, I think... I, you know, I'm still not completely bought in to the Knights at this point. I, you know, I, I, the flurry thing that really, I think, you know, uh, worries people in Vegas in terms of he's so good. But you're talking about a 34-year-old who's had concussion issues. Mark Andre Flurry is an incredible guy. He's, you know, the precipice of a Hall of Fame career. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he's had injuries. I think people are wondering right now, like, why doesn't Subban get more work? No other, you know, no other team in this league uh, doesn't allow for the backup to get work. So if it's Flurry again, I mean, he continues to start games. And I like, I, I actually like the Rangers today. Um, I, that's a hard loss to overcome. I know it's been a couple of days and it's out of their system, but you know that that's a hard one. And you know, the time it's a morning game for their bodies. So you know, if I'm I'm, if I'm at the book, which I'm not, um, and I had to put a nod one way or the other, I'd probably pick the Rangers. Now, you know, I wanted to ask you because obviously you have access to Gallant and, and the players and everything. Has anybody asked Gallant about that situation? Oh, yeah. And and what does he say? He, he's always asked and he never says it. <laughs> Gerard does a really good job of deflecting everything. In fact, Dave Shane just tweeted 
Gallant said today he will no longer comment on lineups and injuries. Now, he's always commented on lineups like, yeah, you know, this guy's playing, this guy's playing. He's never commented about injuries, which you know as well as anyone. In the NHL, if you think NFL people are paranoid about injuries, like, it's beyond the NHL. They don't even tell you the body part. Yeah, I know. Or lower body. I know. Whatever that means. <laughs> so now I guess today he got mad because he was asked again. He says, I'm no longer talking about injuries, which I laugh at. I'm like, well, he never has anyway, so nothing's changed. But yeah. No, he just, you know, he always kind of says, Dave Pryor is our goalie coach. He decides I have nothing to do with it, which no one really believes because you're the head <laughs> coach. You better have something to do with it because yeah. your job's on the line ultimately. So, yeah. uh, you know, Daniel, I don't know. No, Everyone has tried to figure out, you know, Subban hasn't won a game. I think he's 0-4, 0-5. They've played horrible defense in front of him, so he's given up a lot of goals. But my point is, look, you better get him some confidence somewhere because if, for whatever reason, and no one wants anyone to get hurt, but if Flurry went down... You know, you can't, like, I guess, in January or February, tell the guy, well, now you're the guy you have to win games for us. So you have to give him a chance to get some of that confidence. Right, right. So, like I said, they're back-to-back. I can't believe he's not going to start him either today against the Rangers or tomorrow against Columbus. If Glory starts the next two games, Daniel, over the next two days, I think people are just going to shake their head and say, hey, this guy may never play again. I mean, at this point, he's got to get in there and get some confidence. Yeah, that'd be interesting to take a, to take a look at. Now, oh, yeah. While I have you on the phone, I know I didn't tell you about this, but what do you think the biggest takeaway from the MLB winter meetings was? They were in Mandalay Bay, right? I was watching all the, the coverage they of were. it, wishing I was there. <laughs> so the you biggest know, the takeaway. Biggest takeaway for people in Vegas was, was that really it? It had been here before when I first got to Vegas, like 13, 14 years ago. But I think in you, baseball as well as anyone, when you go to these winter meetings, you go, hey, where's Bryce Harper signing? Yeah, is Machado right. going to get done? Right. And none of that stuff really ever happens. <laughs> and then, like, everyone goes home, and it always happens after that. So, you know, guys who covered it for our paper and for the radio, they would come back to me and say, eh, there's this huge room with a thousand chairs, and no one's ever in it because nothing's ever done. I mean, <laughs> when, when Scott Boris's, you know, annual State of the Union for himself is done in front of a Christmas tree in front of the entire media horde, when that's the biggest thing that happens over week, then not much happened. You know, I mean, Bryce Harper, obviously, being a Vegas guy, mm-hmm. native, we see him at every night's game. Yep. Everyone was really on edge. Hey, is he going to sign when this happens in Vegas? It would be huge for Vegas, and obviously he didn't. So yeah. my takeaway is, you know, it's just not much ever comes out of those things until afterwards, and then in the ensuing weeks we'll see what happens with Bryce and others. But um, it was funny. It was funny listening to the comments of the people in our business who covered it because they're like, I thought more would happen. And I'm like, have you been to a baseball winter meeting? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> There's a lot of people standing around. Yeah. And and the final thing I wanted to ask you, just announced, I think two or three days ago, Vegas is hosting the 2020 NFL Draft. And they beat out Kansas City, I guess Nashville, Denver, and Cleveland, and Canton, where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. And this is huge news, I assume, for the city. It is. Uh, between you and I, I was really bummed Nashville didn't get it. But, um, uh, well, they, I'm actually going to the draft in April in Nashville because the Raiders have three first-round picks. But, um, no, cool. it's huge for the city. I think it's the first... You know, it's the first rung on the ladder to fall. I think a Super Bowl will come next. Oh, yeah. um, that stadium is on, on time. It's being built. It will be built on time. The one thing about Vegas, you know this, uh, when they say it's up in 2020, it's up in 2020. Yeah. They build things here. There's yep. never delays here in terms of uh, construction. So, you know, it was inevitable. I mean, you know, they have a brand-new stadium. You know, inevitable they'd get the draft, and eventually they'll get a Super Bowl. And uh, they're very excited. I mean, that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful stadium. I'm at every Raiders game game at home, most on the road. I took Cincinnati off this week, but, um, you know, I, I, all I can leave you with this is in terms of the Coliseum. Last week, we're writing on deadline, and someone in the back, you hear a worker tell another worker, hey, I just got two dead mice in the soda machine. Um, so, the Coliseum is a place they need to move on from quickly, and um, 
with the lawsuit, it appears that they won't play there in 2019. And I, I think the Christmas Eve game on that might be actually the final Raiders, Raiders game in history in Oakland. Wow, that is disgusting. That stadium. Yes, is it was not good. Oh, well documented. I have video evidence. I just cannot. I, I swore to secrecy as to which writer ran up and got it. Ew, that is disgusting. <laughs> Ew. Oh, well, I can't wait to get out there. I, I might be coming in two weeks, I guess. Right after Christmas, okay. I might be there. So I, I'll keep you updated. Shoot me a, 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 a DM and we'll have you on the morning show. Awesome. That'd be cool. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ed. Okay. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. You Bye-bye. And that was Ed Greeny, who is the host of, like you just heard him say, the morning show out there in, in Las Vegas called The Press Box with producer, or Clay the producer. Um, both good guys and, and happy for that city that they are, I don't know, just getting put on the map in professional sports. So um, that's great insight about the Vegas Golden Knights. And, again, that game starts at 1230, which is an hour and a half from now, from the Garden in New York. So on December 6th, I attended the third annual, and I've been to all three, Italian American Baseball Foundation's dinner at Carmine and Sons in Brooklyn, New York. There, thanks to Joe Qualiano and Carmine, I interviewed nine players, uh, nine people, which included players, former players, media personalities, and former managers. And those interviews have been trickling in on social media by my design. I can't release them all at once. And the foundation, as you heard me talk about it on here uh, pretty much almost every single week, it aims to grow the game of baseball in Italy. And um, their next initiative is to create scholarships for, here in America, the Italian-American uh, baseball and softball players, so boys and girls, and I think that's pretty cool. That was just announced at the dinner by honoree John Franco, who was actually a board member too. And John Franco, the Mets pitcher, you know him. Um, so to find out more about that foundation or to donate or to become a member, um, to come to any of the events that they hold, it's all listed online, iabf.foundation. And there, I interviewed Brandon Nimo, as they say in Italian. It's an Italian event, or a.k.a. Brandon Nimo, the outfielder for the New York Mets, who is, uh, like you heard before, heard me talk about before, who is on the trade block. Um, so I did ask him about that. I asked him about his former agent, Brody Van Wagenen, the transition from an agent to a GM. First impressions of Cano and Diaz. I asked him a lot of stuff, and he did compete in my Italian landmark challenge. I'm here at Dan Carn at Carmine and Sons in Brooklyn for the third straight year, the third annual Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner. Um, and you're here again, too. What does it mean for you to keep you know, supporting this organization? You know, I, I think for me, this is how we expand the game. And you know, in order for the game to keep thriving and, and, and getting better, we're going to have to incorporate more than just you know the states and Latin America. We're going to have to get the world into it. And um, I think Italy is you know really untouched. And uh, and so I think this is a great opportunity for us to expand the game and, and bring more talent into it. Now, we talked last year about you and your, your grandparents, how proud they would be of you to wear yeah. the uniform. Yeah. Do you see yourself wearing it in 2020 in the Olympics and 2021 in the World Baseball? Well, it's, it's not out of the question. Um, you know, we definitely, uh, for me, I try to just take it one day at a time. Uh, we don't know, you know if I'm going to be uh, healthy during during 2020, and, and we don't know what situations we're going to be in. So, uh, you know, I won't say no, uh, but I don't know for sure right now. So, uh, we'll see. It's really quite an honor because 
know, you try and make time and, and create time for uh, for the media, and you understand that they have a job to do, and you have a job, you have a job as well. But when you uh, get recognized for that, uh, you know, it means, it means a lot. It means that you know it didn't go unnoticed, and so um, you know, I really take a lot of honor and pride in that award, and uh, it's one that uh, is very, very, very special to me. Cool. Now, I know. I, I mean, I have to ask. You know, on the way here, even in the radio, I'm hearing your name coming up in trade rumors. So. I know it's a business and everything, but how are you dealing with sort of like the trepidation of are you staying or are you going? Yeah, you know, honestly, for me, the best thing is to be being talked about and wanted, uh, you know, even if it's by other teams, because then if you stick around, then the Mets wanted you more, and, um, and so for me, it's, it's good to be in these conversations, but uh, for now, I haven't moved, and that's really good news. Um, obviously, this is just where I grew up, and this is where I want to stay, but, you know, the, the GM and, and uh and in the front office, they're going to do what's best for the team. And if they feel like uh, you know an offer is too good to, to pass up, then they're going to you know they're going to make the team better by doing that. And if that includes me leaving, then then that's then so be it. But uh, you know that means that another team wants me. And so in this game, uh, you know it's it's good to be wanted by, by other teams and, and maybe more so by your by your own team. Yeah, cool. And, and the fans love you too. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's been good. I've, I've developed a relationship with the fan base here and. Yeah. This is where I grew up, so you know I obviously don't want to don't want to move, but uh, you know again that's outside of my control. So there's there's also a positive way to look at it. Yeah. Now, Gordy Van Magen, you know from C is it CAA or CAA? Yes. CAA. So um, I don't know. I mean, I was critical of it because I feel I, I don't know. But what do you think about his transition from agent to GM now? You know, I really I really think he's a sharp guy. Uh, I know that he's really smart. He really does well with. Uh, situations and so we're really looking forward to uh, to working together you know on the other side of the ball um, I think he's I think he's a very smart guy who's gonna bring old school and new school together I think he'll use the numbers to help him you know kind of make decisions on what his eyes see rather than the other way around and so I think you know, I think he's already made a big splash with this last move and said it's not the last one that he's gonna make and you know I really think he's, he's wanting to win next year with this team now you just did that Christmas event with uh, with Cano and yeah. Diaz. First impressions of them? They're great. I mean, they were great guys. Um, obviously, you know, we'll we'll get more time to, to get to know each other in spring training. But um, I actually saw Robinson earlier uh, in the off season, and, and he was a great guy, really nice to me. And uh, you know, with the pedigree that he comes with and the reputation, yeah. right. he doesn't have to he doesn't have to you know talk to me or, or even respect me, honestly. You know, but he does. And, stronger, faster, uh, and, and more durable, but, uh, you know, then, you know, first step quickness, always trying to improve on that, yeah. always trying to improve on, on reads, and, uh, and, and there's always room to be done on, on offensive side, you're never, you're never going to stop working at that, so there's plenty, plenty of room uh, for, for getting better, but, uh, you know, we'll continue to do that one day at a time. Now, I have one last thing, last year I think we did the Italian lesson, I think you picked, I have a landmark quiz this year.
Taking a family of five to the amusement park can cost a small fortune. Oh, yeah. So to save the money, we thought, hey, let's bring the amusement park to us. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Uh, step right up. Step right up, young man. Are you ready to ride the Wacky Waterfall? That's just the bathtub with the shower head running. No, nope, it's the Wacky Waterfall. It's a shower, Dad. Waterfall. Wacky. There's an easier way to say it. To get a free rate quote, go to Geico.com. Then buy online, over the phone, or at your local Geico so that's One Republic. Future looks good. And that's a song coming out of MetLife Stadium last night when the Houston Texans visited the New York Jets, although the Jets lost. It was the Saturday 4.30 p.m. game, if you had been watching it. Um, the Jets lost, obviously. <laughs> uh, what else is new? But in that game, a couple takeaways I had, and uh, Sam Darnold bailed out Todd Bowles on a fourth down conversion pass uh, late, late in the game. And the Texans called the timeout, and Todd Bowles still didn't challenge the ruling on the field, which was obviously wrong. But Sam Darnold bailed him out, and no one's talking about it today. Okay, But takeaway was Sam Darnold was impressive, both in and out of the pocket in that game. He was a total 24 for 38, which is a 63% completion rate, which is pretty good. 253 yards, two touchdowns, and the most important thing, zero interceptions. And, you know, mounting that comeback at the end, that the, the long drive that they had, MetLife Stadium is not known for being a loud stadium. If you've ever been there, um, I think it was poorly made. That You have seats stretching all the way to the heavens. And sitting up there, you, you can't get into a game. I mean, I'm sorry, you just can't. And I know people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars on, in PSLs and everything to have those seats. But they're not that good. And the stadium, the wall, if you ever watch like a... Like, uh, like, for example, the Packers. I mean, their fans are right on the field. The Bears, their fans are right on the field. You go to MetLife Stadium, the fans are back. You got the club seats behind the benches. And then you have 25-foot walls surrounding the stadium. But anyway, that stadium was loud last night. And Jet fans are, are like I picked the, the intro song to be. The future looks good. And the Jets are on an upswing despite being 4-10. We're not talking like the Jets going to win the Super Bowl just yet because they obviously need a new head coach, an offensive-minded guy. Forget these defensive dudes. And Robbie Anderson, um, he dropped a fourth and 14 ball, which was well ahead of the first down marker with 152 left in the game. The ball literally hit him in the hands. I've been saying it. Anybody that follows me knows I've been saying it. The Jets need a physical wide receiver, and Robbie Anderson is not that guy. Even the broadcaster said big players make big plays in big moments, and that was a big moment for Robbie Anderson, and he literally dropped the ball. So, Jets fans, are we over this Robbie Anderson is our savior uh, commentary here? Because he's not. Because if you put him on a real team with with real wide receivers, he would maybe be a number three wide receiver on, a, on that team. Maybe. 
because the Jets are so devoid of talent at that position, that's the reason why he's their number one receiver. He is not a number one receiver, everybody. And then and then we have Jermaine Curse, who I like the initial signing of. But with the first play with less than a minute to go, Darnold puts it a little short, but still catchable. Basically hits the defender in the back of the head or in the shoulder pad or whatever it was. And Curse, what did he do? He didn't turn around and, and try to wrestle the ball away. He tried to tackle the defender that wasn't even looking at the ball. My God. I mean, come on. What is wrong with him? Again, the Jets need a physical receiver. They need a uh, a Brandon Marshall-type receiver. Whether that comes, and I said it on WFAN, out of the draft or out of free agency, that is one position that the Jets need to improve upon. And before, we talked about how the Jets are at the top of the draft pecking order this year, but my number one pick for the Jets would be Nick Bosa, who's a defensive lineman. And... Unfortunately for the Jets, the teams in front of them actually have their their quarterbacks, and they're going to be looking at Nick Bosa as well. So maybe Bosa will fall to the Jets, but don't hold your breath, Jets fans. And we'll talk more about the draft as that comes up. And, and you heard Ed Greeny talk about he's going to the draft this year um, because the Raiders have, I think, the two picks in the first round, he said. So uh, we'll, we'll talk to him again, I'm sure, around that time. Uh, but the Jets... Although they're 4-10, and ten, and although the draft uh, doesn't seem too promising, I would say, because they have their quarterback, what else do they need? And you're not taking a wide receiver in the first round. They never go in the first round, pretty much, and I'm sure someone's going to dig something up, I'm sure, but typically they don't. What are you doing in the first round if you're the New York Jets? You need an offensive playmaker, and that probably is going to come from the signing of Le'Veon Bell. Yep, you heard it. Le'Veon Bell will be a very good New York Jets player. Uh, and that's it for the Jets because the Giants have a big game coming up in about, I don't know, less than two hours of time. And let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with some Giants coverage. A BMW is not just a car. It's an experience. East Bay BMW is not just a dealership. It's a destination. Offering amazing value like the all-new 328i for just $3.99 a month. And great service like East Bay BMW's ultimate service package. Pay nothing for four years or 50,000 miles when you buy or lease a new car. Just a few reasons East Bay BMW received the prestigious Center of Excellence Award for 2012. East Bay BMW of Pleasanton. You have reached your destination. That's Carrie Underwood blown away. Why? Well, look out your window, guys. The forecast for the Meadowlands today. And this is a quote from Vanessa Murdoch on the Channel 2 News this morning. Rounds of cold rain, heavy at times. Sustained winds, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Wind chills in the 30s. You could see possibly some snow falling by the end of the game today. It is just a raw December 16th here in New Jersey. And um, that's why I picked that song. I thought about that this morning. Now, the Giants are theoretically and mathematically still in the playoffs. They need to win out, basically, and they need a lot of help from, like, four to five different teams. 
I'm not going to confuse you with the scenarios, but if the Giants win today, we could talk a little bit more clearly and a little bit more concisely um, next week. This is a big game for the Giants because they're 4-1 since that bye week. And since Odell Beckham Jr., his prediction of winning out has, has been materialized. Their only loss was a three-point loss to the Eagles. And I know that only, I say only, but three points is not a lot. And only because, obviously, it's a, the, uh, the Eagles are a division rival. But they're 4-1 since that bye week. Odell Beckham Jr., the aforementioned, has been ruled out today's game due to a quad injury. And interestingly enough, the NFL has fined the player who hit him and caused that injury over $20,000. There's no flag thrown on the play. Hmm, that things that make you think, right? Obviously, with the forecast here, what it is, terrible. Um, the, the team that runs the ball better today is going to win. And lucky for the Giants... They have Saquon Barkley, who, by the way, is still the correct choice for the Giants in the 2018 draft. I said it when the draft happened, and I'll stick to my guns. He is, he was, the best player available in that draft. And good for the Giants, they went out and got him, because he is going to help them today. Saquon Barkley is an absolute game changer. He's got nine rushing touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. And it has been his signature now. He's got a 78-yard long rush and a 57-yard long reception. The guy, you could barely catch him. You could barely tackle him. He's all-purpose yards. Almost, I think, I think he's going to hit 2,000 all-purpose yards by the end of the season. He's almost there already on almost 300 touches. The Giants have finally figured out their offense and how it runs through Saquon Barkley. Um, no pun intended there. Barkley is the most important piece to the Giants' victory. If he's hot, if he's able to break free, it's a great sign for the New York Giants. And uh, like I just said, he's seemingly good for, for one or two long gains a game, and no defense has seemed to figure out how to plug that up. Chris Wynn from Vegas says, Barkley would be the second best running back in the NFL behind Gurley. Current, I guess you're saying. I don't know. I think uh, let's see how he matures into his second season. He's only a rookie, Chris, and he's got an offensive line that um, kind of sucks. So let's just see how he matures. I think Saquon Barkley will eclipse a guy like Gurley, in my opinion, because the the Rams know how to use a guy like Gurley, and I think the Giants are just figuring it out. Can you imagine if they didn't lose the first, whatever it was, seven or eight games this season, where the Giants would be if they had figured it out just a little sooner? So we'll see for next year. But, you know, he's got this, this long run. If he breaks off one or two of them, it's kind of going to be lights out for the Titans today, in my opinion. And Barkley, though, he's a pro's pro. And, and here's something I saw that came out after the game last week on Twitter. Now, Twitter's both good and bad, but for this, it was good. I want to know, did anybody see the video of Saquon Barkley coaching up his offensive line last week? I mean, he was he had them all sitting on the bench, and he was standing in front of them. The rookie, Saquon Barkley, was coaching up veteran offensive linemen, mostly. And he was like, you know... You know, he had his hands going. You couldn't understand exactly what he was saying, but he was very animated in, in saying, like, oh, you know, block this way, I can go that way with his hands, you know. The next play, the next possession, he broke out one of those signature long runs that Giants fans have been accustomed to hearing and seeing. So um, I'll say it again. Barkley is the best choice and was the best choice for the Giants in that draft. Now, let's not, you know, let's let's give the Titans their due. 
biggest key to victory for the Tennessee Titans is going to be Marcus Mariota with his arm and more so probably today with the forecast, his legs. And um, I haven't seen any injury reports come out just yet, but he was limited in Friday's practice with an abdomen injury, which is sort of weird. Um, is that a musculature injury? Is that a, um, a sickness, a virus? Who knows? It wasn't specified. So if it's Blaine Gabbert time, the, the, the quarterback, the backup quarterback for the Titans, if it's Blaine Gabbert time, man, oh, man, the Titans are not in luck. They are 1-2 in games that he's been the quarterback. One in two. And the only win with him was in week two versus the Texans where Ryan Sukup, he made a 31-yard field goal with one minute to go. That was barely a win. So if it's Blaine Gabbert time for the Titans, it's game over time for the Titans as well. But let's assume it's Marcus Mariota behind the helm because I, I, I haven't seen otherwise. Mariota has a better... Completion percentage. Here's a word problem here. Marcus Mariota has a better completion percentage in losses and has his longest pass play in a loss. So what gives? Well, it's his touchdown to interception ratio. That's the thing. In wins, he's thrown eight touchdowns and only three interceptions. In losses, it's been three touchdowns and five interceptions. This is going to be a great test for the Giants defense, who this season generally fare better against pocket passers, and we know Marcus Mariota is a mobile quarterback, and he isn't afraid to break a run, especially on third down. And with all that being said, uh, you know, the Giants and, and, and their struggles and their uptick, uh, the Titans and their uncertainty at the quarterback position, and the weather outside today, have you looked out the window, I think that the final score of this game is going to be Giants 24 Titans, 17. I think the Giants are going to come away with a squeaky win today. And I think uh, I think the Giants are going to win this game. And it all runs through Saquon Barkley. And thanks for sticking with me through all of the uh, technical difficulties we've been having today. We, you and I, uh, me, myself here. Um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy morning. And I know I ran a, a lot late, but I'm sure, I, or I hope... That you guys enjoyed watching the extra, I don't know, 18 minutes of bonus coverage, I could say. Overtime, 60 minute overtime, overtime today. And uh, hopefully the studio gets fixed for the next time we'll be in. I want to thank my guests, uh, Chris Sheeran. He called in and dealt. He was the first one to deal with the uh, the uh, malfunctions here in the studio. And he's great. He, he has some great insight. And if you ever want to talk Nets basketball with him, he is good at, on that as well. Maybe one of these days we can get him on to talk about the Nets. And uh, if you want to find his work, obviously on the Yes Network, he also has a podcast you can download called called the Enroff Podcast. 10.40 a.m. or 10.45, Ed Graney came on. He was a sports columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and he's the host of a brand-new morning show, Press Box, in Las Vegas. And that's very exciting. And uh, a pre-recorded interview I had was with Brendan Nimmo. Nemo. I can never get away from saying Nemo. He is the New York Mets outfielder. So... Uh, uh, that's it. That's it for the show for today. I want to thank you for tuning in and dealing with the, the technical difficulties. Hopefully when I post this into a podcast form, uh, the quality isn't so much that you turn it off immediately. I hope not. I hope what I had to say was intellectually stimulating enough to stick with it for the next uh, hour or so. In that, uh, On Twitter, in the meantime, we can interact on Twitter all week at CoachMCCARTAN. 
YouTube, you just put in there, search box, Coach McCartan, soundcloud.com slash Coach McCartan. Again, an iTunes podcast on demand, tune in radio on demand, play.google.com on demand. Everything links back if that you didn't catch that to my website, prosportsrundown.com. I'm not sure I'm going to be back next Sunday because my brother and I are trying to get to the Jets-Packers game. He's a Packers fan, and I do like the Jets. I'll go to either game, Jets-Giants, I'll be honest. It doesn't matter. But since the Packers don't play the Giants this year, and they are playing the Jets, we're going to try to get to that game. So uh, if I don't talk to you before Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays, and I will see you uh, the next time that I see you. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.